Well, it is wonderful to have everyone here today and all of you that are here with us online. Uh, we just uh, so excited to have each of you here, and it's a blessing to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a saying that we probably all have heard that good things come to those who wait. Good things come to those who wait. And when I think about that saying, a lot of times, I don't know if it came with, maybe it was the Heinz ketchup where you were uh, holding the, the y'all remember real glass bottles of ketchup? And, and they had all these different ways where you tried to get it out. But um, you'd have to wait there, and they say good things come to those who wait, and eventually your ketchup would come out. Um, but I like to think of it with food and with uh with barbecue in particular, barbecue takes a long time to cook. And I tried for at least 20 years trying to cook a brisket, trying to cook uh, barbecue. And so often I tried to work with the fire and I, I didn't have the time. I didn't want to stay up with it at night. And it just didn't go very well. I didn't have the patience it took for the barbecue to cook until this past Christmas, Mary bought me a pellet grill. And this pellet grill can be operated from my phone right here. Can you imagine that? I talked to Dee, whose, whose dad was, uh, was, uh, had a barbecue uh, joint here in, in Kilgore, and I say, how mad would your dad be as he's chopping wood on Monday, and I'm playing with my phone and just saying, all right, increase the temperature three degrees here or whatever. It, it's it's kind of silly, but it turns out good barbecue, and I can cook it overnight, and uh, every three hours just wake up and touch my phone and, there you go. It comes out, and, and, and good brisket is, it comes out of that. We lack patience in so many ways of our life and so, uh, so many times in our life. It's struggle to be patient for things to change and for things to be good. And one of the things that uh, we probably lack patience for is because we grew up, if you grew up like me, you might have watched TV shows and sitcoms, and any problem that happened in a sitcom was basically taken care of in 30 minutes, right? So you have G.I. Joe that's fighting the evil Cobra, and it only takes 30 minutes to save the world. How about that? That's nice, right? And so sometimes we think of that in our own Christian lives. We have issues that we're going through in our life, and do we really believe that in one sermon, one worship, everything is corrected and everything's good, everything's changed? I definitely think that you come to worship, you listen to a sermon, you go to a Bible class, you hear these things, it's a good launching point for you. And it's a good place where you can stir yourself along. But can we expect complete change in 30 minutes here? Can we expect complete change? And we wish we could, but what I want to do is I want to look at the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul showed us something interesting. It looked like his change happened just overnight. In one experience that he had, he went from being this murderer to the greatest apostle to the Gentiles, the greatest missionary of all time. So let's look at that conversion story of Paul, and let's get a little bit better understanding of what it took for Paul to go from one point in his life where he considered himself the worst of all sinners to something where, he consider, where we consider him the greatest missionary of all time. So open your Bibles. We're going to be here most of today in Acts chapter 9. 
And so Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it starts out. And it starts out and it starts to explain a little bit of who Paul was. In Acts 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so he so if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So what we have here is a man, we call him Paul, but it, some people like to say that he, he converted, he changed his name whenever he converted to Christianity. That might be true. Uh, it also could be that he's going and talking to the Gentiles, and Paul was more of a of a, his Roman name, or his and, and Saul was more of his Jewish name. So we don't really know exactly. It never really explains why it changed from Paul to Saul, or from Saul to Paul. But we do know a little bit about Saul's upbringing. And Saul was... An incredible uh, student of Judaism. Matter of fact, he uh, studied under the greatest Jewish law teacher, Gamaliel, and that was a big name. And he'll talk about that in, in his in in his letters that he studied under this man. Now, Saul wanted to do what was best in the eyes of the Lord, and he was rising through the ranks of the Pharisees in an incredible rate. Matter of fact, he was one of the youngest people to ever rise to such a rank among his fellow Pharisees. And so he was willing to do whatever it took to rise through these ranks. Now, when you look at Saul, he might have been a man that was trying to chase after the faith, his faith in God, or he might have been someone that was trying to raise through the ranks to impress his other fellow Jews to impress his other fellow Pharisees. Matter of fact, it didn't take much for for Saul to do to change to to go out and put his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters in, uh, that that were in Christ in prison and to send them to be murdered. It didn't matter if it was male, it didn't matter if it was female, he would do whatever it took to round them up and make a better name for himself. The people of Israel, the people of Jesus Christ, feared Saul. Saul was getting a big name for himself, and Saul was going and rounding them up. And they hid from Saul. Saul talks a little bit about his, uh, his life before he, turned, before he became a Christian. When he's talking to Timothy, he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for, the very reason, for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul is telling Timothy, his child in the faith, Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. And he's not just exaggerating this to make a point. Paul was really one of the worst out there. It's not just like me that I would come up to you and, and try to be humble and say, uh, 
I'm a pretty bad guy. I'm the worst of guys. I have a lot of sin, but I don't round people up to get to murder them. Paul is being very honest right here. He really was one of the worst, if not the worst person out there. For his own personal gain, he would round up the followers of Christ so they could be persecuted, imprisoned, killed. But Paul doesn't want us to dwell on our past. What he's trying to say here is there is life for even the worst of sinners. There is life for those that have messed up. There is life and there is a better life in Christ. And there's forgiveness. And we have a God that's patient with us. And so we go back to Acts chapter 9. And we see what God did to Saul because God knew he had someone that was very zealous in the faith, someone that was growing, someone that was smart, someone that was able to reach people. But it was also someone that wasn't doing what God created them to do. And so God does something incredible. He's about to have Jesus Christ come to Saul directly. In verse 3 of chapter 9, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, that you, and you will be told what you must do. What we see here, is the Lord was wanting to make sure that Saul knew he was going the wrong direction of his life, right? And we don't all get this blinding light, and that's probably a, a good thing for us. We probably, none of us probably want to go three days in blindness. Anytime you see in the, in the Scripture of people that see God face to face or see Jesus like that, it's a very scary thing. But I bet everyone in here, at one point or another, has been convicted of the sins and the struggles that they have in their life. Just this week, I was talking with someone that says, I feel like I'm in a spiritual slump right now. I feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's the Holy Spirit trying to convict us, showing us we need to change something about our life. We need to change how we're living our life. We need to live it more for God. We need to do something more for Christ. That's what Paul is getting right here. He is getting this, this, this change saying, you're going in the wrong direction. And maybe our changes are big like Paul, or maybe our changes are small, just things that we need to add to our life, maybe our prayer life, maybe our time here at church. Maybe an idea that we need to come and serve more or be around God's people more. The Holy Spirit will convict us. And we have the scriptures. Nowadays, it seems like it would be nice whenever God could just come out and talk to you directly in an audible voice. But we have the scriptures even at our fingertips right now. On our phones, we can read the scriptures and understand what God wants of us in our life. Each and every day, so many ways 
we have it so much better, so much easier access to God and to His Holy Word. In this passage, it looks like Paul is going to change his life dramatically, and he will. Matter of fact, God then, not only is he working with, with, uh, with uh, Saul, but he's talking to one of his other disciples, Ananias, and he says, I need you to go and spread the good news to this man named Saul. And Ananias is scared because Ananias knows exactly who Saul is. Saul is the worst of sinners. Saul is the one that going out and he's rounding up Christians. And Ananias wants nothing to do with it. But God says, this is my chosen person who I'm sending out to the Gentiles. I need you to go and talk to him. And so in verse 17 of chapter 9, it says, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placed his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So in here, in, in verse 19, it immediately talks about how Saul goes from that to going and preaching the good news and then going around and, and, and living this incredible life of faith. And the interesting thing in the, in the scriptures is there's a lot of stuff that's not put into the scriptures. There's a lot of things uh, that, that, have ha that happen in this world that we don't write it all down. John tells us about that. If we were to talk about how many good things that Jesus did, John tells us that you couldn't fill the world's libraries with the amount of good that Jesus did while he was here on this earth. And so there's a whole lot more to the story. And a matter of fact, if you read other scriptures, you'll find out that there's actually about three years in between one verse of, of Acts chapter 19. It looks like there's three years that happens in between this one single verse. What does Saul do after he's baptized, after he's found salvation in God? Does he immediately change his life? Well, we know he's got an eternal salvation, but... If you go to Galatians, Saul will tell you, or Paul at this time, will tell you everything that has happened at the point of his conversion to Jesus Christ to this letter where he's about to write to the, to the, uh, to the Galatians, how he became an apostle. Go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, for you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among the people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set, set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. You see, when Paul spoke with the Lord, when Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And tells him to go 
where he directs him to where he's going to meet Ananias and where he is going to be baptized into Jesus Christ, where he's going to find salvation. Paul realizes his whole, his whole way of life was wrong. He was living for himself. He was studying the scriptures, which was good, but he wasn't looking for the Messiah or seeing the signs that the Messiah was here. He was looking for how he could increase in his ranking among the Pharisees and making something special of himself. And so he decided so, many, so much human wisdom that he had been taught by the teachers of the law, he wasn't going to seek them out. That's what it says at the end of, of, of verse 16. It says, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So what does he do? He spends time looking for God, talking to God, praying to God, reading scripture, understanding who this God is. And through this, we're assuming some divine revelation is happening because in verse 17 it says, I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were the apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem and got acquainted with Cephas, who was Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. For three years, Paul is out in Arabia. Paul is in the desert, and it doesn't tell us exactly what's happening in these three years, but many scholars are going to say, this is his time where he is actually becoming an apostle. This is his time. Just like the, the 12 apostles spent three years with Jesus Christ, he's spending three years in the desert praying to God, reading Scripture, getting this divine revelation from Jesus Christ so he understands who Jesus is. Paul didn't just change overnight from this murderous, person that was rounding up the apostles or all the disciples of Jesus but he's spending three years transforming himself with God alone and if you read Acts you just see, see it like well it was pretty easy it just went it went really quickly he goes straight from seeing God and his life fully is transformed but you listen to Paul a little bit more there's some time in there there's some time that Paul had to work on his faith. And all of us need that. We might want our lives to be fully transformed the moment we're baptized into Jesus Christ and we find salvation at that time. But what we don't have is this time of devotion to God. And so we need to continue to, continue to work on our lives as we go throughout this life. There's a way that we can work on our life, and, the, and that way is to practice what Jesus practiced. Jesus practiced um, many different ways that he reached out to God and spent time with God. And the first and most important thing that Jesus did in practicing divine discipleship was he prayed. He spent many hours in prayer and much of his life in prayer. Jesus was an incredibly busy person, but we do see in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. 
When we pray, we sometimes need to retreat. What that means is we got to get away from the world because the world has so many distractions. This phone in, in my pocket can be such a big distraction in our life. And what it's saying is you need to retreat. You need to get away from the world. You need to get away from all the, all the distractions of the world just for times with you and God. I like this, this city of Kilgore. It's doing a lot of cool things. It's having these trails that it's building all around here. And maybe that's something that you can do to retreat, go walking down these trails or going to Synergy Park and sitting out by, by the, the lake there at Synergy Park. That's, that's a nice little retreat that maybe that can work for you. Or maybe you have a special place in, at, at your home. There was a movie a few years ago called The War Room, and that was where someone converted a closet where they could just get away and they could pray. Sometimes our prayers are quick, but sometimes our, our prayers are something that we need to spend more time at. As Jesus was about to pick his 12 apostles, it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, one day afterwards, Jesus went on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. If you're about to make big decisions in your life, we need to spend a lot of time in prayer. Prayer is important, and how we pray to God is immensely important to our growth in him. And if we pass on this, it's hard for us to grow, and that's a lot of what Paul did, is he spent a lot of time with God, three years in prayer with God. That's how he goes from this murderer to the greatest apostle to the Gentiles, the greatest missionary to them. The second thing that we can do, that Jesus often did, that Jesus showed us, and it's not something that we typically practice anymore, but I think it's immensely important in our life, is fasting. Fasting is an incredibly important thing that happened in the gospel, and I don't know why maybe we lost it, but you see, that's what Jesus did before he started his ministry. He goes into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. It doesn't mean that we need to fast for 40 days, but fasting is something pretty important because it can give us a chance to, when we feel these hunger pangs, reflect on God. Realize that we have God that gives us our nourishment. A lot of times when we pray before our meals, it's, it's kind of a weird prayer because we're never really looking for the next meal. But if you go for a day fasting, you're thankful for that meal, and, that's, and that, might, that might help you out in that prayer. But fasting is also interesting because we don't necessarily need to do fasting as a group. Fasting is an individual thing between you and God. Matter of fact, in Luke or in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, it says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, as they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward you will get. So this month, this month of Thanksgiving, spend a, we can all use it because we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner, so that's not the reason we fast, but think about that. Spend a, spend a, spend a day or a couple days this month when we fast and we remember how we can be thankful for our God for all that he's blessed us with. A third principle, a third practice that we can follow, and Jesus often showed to people, is to be, be a giving person. One time there was a, a rich young ruler who was living his life 
in an incredible way. He was doing everything right. He was following the law, uh, ev- doing everything he, that he knew he was supposed to do. And so he go- goes to Jesus and he says, what can I do to gain eternal life? In verse 20 of, cha- of Mark chapter 10, it says, Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. and says, there's still one thing you haven't to- done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What does that mean? That means so much of our stuff that we've accumulated, the money that we have, we kind of feel like that's our security. And what God wants us to do and what Jesus tells us to practice is to be willing to give up some of that security and feel security in him. Not only does that help you in your life and your walk with Christ, but it helps the poor. It helps the church. It helps, uh, it helps pass along the gospel. And so he's saying, be willing to be a giving person. Give. Have trust and faith that God's going to take care of us. And the last one, and this is very important, that we study our scripture. You see, Jesus, from the time he was a little kid, he would make sure that he studied the scripture diligently. And we know the story of Luke chapter 2, verse 46, where he goes to the temple and and, uh, his family's looking for him. In verse 46, it says, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. Jesus knew it was so important to study the scripture, to be in the word. And David tells us these same things. David, in Psalm chapter 1, verse, verses 1 through 2, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. How did David get through so many dark times in his life? He went to the Word. He studied Scripture. He understood who God was by studying the Scriptures. None of these are rocket science or uh, incredibly mind-blowing principles that we study. But they're all easy things that each of us can do. Each of us can practice. Each of us can put this in our life. And we come to church and we gather with other other, uh, disciples of Christ. And we serve with each other, and we form small groups, and we have uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that keep us accountable, but each and every day we practice one or all of these things to grow closer to God. And through that, God is going to help us grow. He's going to change our lives. In James chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, it says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. God invites you to come close to him today. God invites you to come close to him through prayer. Come close to him through fasting. Come close to him him through being willing to give and to come close to him through studying of the scripture. And when we do that, when we draw close to God, he will come close to you. If you need to come close to God, if you need to be baptized into his name, if you need uh, prayers from the church, whatever you need, please come while we stand and sing. Your